Holly Campbell, and this is Simply Say. Hello, hello, hello. This is Polly Campbell, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy. And today's show speaks to me on a couple of levels. First, I think that for all of us to be better as individuals and more engaged in our lives, we need to keep learning and growing together, learning about each other, expanding our lives, understanding different experiences, uh, and we like growth, right? As humans, we like growth and we need connection. So to live well, we've got to bring all of that into our own lives. And the second thing is that I've been thinking about today is I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can be fully realized individuals, people, community, culture, as long as people are left out of that scenario in our own lives. As long as there are marginalized, oppressed, ignored groups and people, then we are all stunted. And that's really what I've been thinking about a lot as I evolve and become hopefully more aware. And I'm thinking about my role in my own community and the world. And today I brought in MJ Fiev to talk to me and teach me and have a conversation about these things that are so important to all of us. Welcome, MJ. Hello, hello. Nice to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. MJ is a writer, an educator, an editor, a poet, a reader. She's the author of the Badass Black Girl series, which addresses some of the concerns we're going to be talking about today. It addresses issues of concern for Black girls and young Black women. And I have a lot to learn, but I'm also excited to be learning. This is a great book. I read, um, MJ, I think uh, the book that I just finished was Resilient Black Girl, and I loved it. I've, I've, but it, it went beyond that, right? It taught me things about the differences in the experiences you may have, be having as compared to me, but it also reminded me of my place in the world and what I want to create in my own life. So I thought it was a great book, and I appreciate you coming on the show today teach me and talk to me about some of these things. I'm so glad you enjoyed the book. It was important for me to write this series because growing up, um, I really loved reading. Reading was at the center of my life, but very often I didn't find myself in those books. So it was important to me once I became a writer to be able to write books where um, I presented Black girls and Black women at the center. Well, and from what I understand, you have always been a writer, right? You started this when you were a kid. I did. Um, I come from Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and Haiti is known as a country with a lot of violence. Of course, that's not the whole story, but it's undeniable that there's always chaos in Haiti. And um, I also come from a family where there was a lot of violence. So writing and reading became instrumental in just <laughs> keeping it together. Um, and I studied writing when I was very young, um, just to escape the realities, the difficult realities of life. And also it allowed me to find myself because it's so easy to get lost when you live in chaos. That's an interesting statement because you have to declare who you are around all the stuff that's going 
with you that you might not support or agree with or feel safe in, right? Yes, for sure. Um, otherwise, you will allow the events to define you. Mm. And I think that particularly in, in the case of the United States, it's really important not to be defined by what's going on around us because of systemic racism, because of a system that tries to persuade you that you're nothing. So if you're not able to find who you are within yourself, it's really easy to think that you have no intrinsic value. Mm. You made an interesting point in your book um, that really uh, woke me up a little bit, made me think about this differently. And what you said is in Haiti, despite the other political unrest and the other things going on, you were a black girl among black people. When you came to the US, you were treated differently because of that. For sure. I mean, I was aware of racism. Obviously, we study um, the history of Haiti in depth. So I was aware um, of colonialism and mm -hmm. um, what what kind of situation we had to overcome in Haiti to become a free nation. But at the end of the day, everyone was Black. So there was colorism, and it still exists to this day, this idea that if you're a lighter shade of Black, then um, you're better. That still exists. Mm -hmm. But there's always been uh, pride in general for being Black and being the first Black nation. And even when we struggle in Haiti with all that we've done with the freedom, mm -hmm. um, we, it, there's still this very profound sense of identity, uh, of Black identity. And having that questioned when I came to the U.S. was really disconcerting. I was never judged um, so harshly for being a certain color. People were questioning my intelligence. Um, people were questioning my even my place. It's like for some people, I was not even supposed to be here. Yeah. And that was um, a little traumatizing at first because um, I had never been faced with people who sincerely thought that I shouldn't exist would didn't care whether I existed. So people weren't even taking a chance to get to know you or work with you or they, they were just judging you outright because of the color of your skin. Right. I, for many of these people, I felt that I wasn't a real person. Mm -hmm. I was just a representative of something other, something that uh, was accidentally entering their world that didn't belong. Um, and I've been really focused in my writing um, on making sure that even when I write um, fiction to make sure that my characters are real because it's this realness that people are not seeing. Um, they also used to cliches to uh, stereotypes that very often they don't see other people for what they really are, people. I think we should all read your books. I think we should all read Resilient Black Girl in particular, um, because that's my most recent experience with your work. But 
I think you really draw out some uh, things that I needed to think about differently. And one of the things you say is that um, racism obviously occurs on an external level. So there's external lust. Uh, people may not get the job or they may be treated as less than human. But it also impacts people on a soul level. And that can strip people of their own self-identity that they've tried to carve out, right? Tried to learn and, and be in the world. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can. I mean, um, the, the simplest analogy that I use with kids is racism acts like a very uncomfortable pair of shoes. Um, if you're wearing good shoes, you don't have to think about your feet ever during the day. You just go around your day, you, just, you can just be. But if you're wearing shoes that hurt all the time, everything you do during that day is filtered by that pain. You cannot stop thinking about it. And uh, for people of color, that's what racism does. When you wake up, you cannot stop thinking about the fact that you're black. When you enter a store, you think about I'm black, um, there are certain behaviors that I should probably not display because I might scare people, they might call the police. It's a never ending consciousness of, of your blackness. And as you grow older, um, of course it gets a little better because you, you learn to deal with it. But for kids, for teenagers particularly, it can be very, um, it, it can become this big part of their life, this idea that I'm different because people are seeing me differently. Um, so, so yes, when there are things that as a black person, I will never do. I can't imagine myself um, like walking around a store and opening and closing my bag without first making sure that everybody can see that I'm just grabbing my cell phone as opposed to putting something mm -hmm. in the bag. Because if I go to a store with my husband, for instance, um, he's Caucasian. He can allow, he, he is allowed to do certain things without suspicion. But if I do them, um, the assumption is that I'm doing something wrong. That's the, that's the status quo. It's like, Black people do things wrong. That's how people see it. Mm -hmm. So I have to do things that he doesn't have to do. This is what you mean by microaggressions in the book, right? These things, it must be disorienting and exhausting to have to be in the world like that. It is. And um I mean, microaggression, when in cases of microaggression, those are things that people sometimes don't even do consciously. Um, they've been programmed to think about certain people a certain way. So that if you, if it's after dark and you see a man walking the streets, um, if it's black with a hoodie, your fear is much higher than if it's white with a hoodie. It's a, the exact same scenario, but we've been programmed to think black man, danger, white man is just walking home. And the, the same thing with um, interviewers, right? 
um, if you're hiring someone and you're interviewing a black woman, you're gonna think, oh, she's probably loud and uh, unprofessional versus interviewing a white woman. She's, she's probably good at her job. And I'm not saying that this happens every single time, but statistically speaking, it happens in most um, scenarios where black women are just assumed to be loud and angry and white women are not. And the interviewer might not even realize that um, they are being guided by those internalized ideas of what a black woman is versus a white woman. And the, the, the comments they'll make or the decisions they'll take um, will be influenced by that. So microaggressions like um, say telling someone you're pretty for a black girl or um, assuming that a black boy is into sports when in fact they might just enjoy playing video games in their bedroom mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or assuming that um, I'm going to get angry if I don't get what I ask just because I'm a black woman. Those are things that are, that are a reflection of everything that's been ingrained into the American psyche that Black people act a certain way. I'm interested in that because, of course, I come at this interview and everything else I do in my life with my own slate of experiences and uh, history and heritage and all of those things. I might be doing this without even an awareness. How can I get smarter and uh, more compassionate and become more aware as an individual? And is there a difference between racism that's perpetuated with intent and somebody that's just like me, a white girl who is not a badass, <laughs> who doesn't, who might just be clueless or misinformed at some point. Is there a difference? That's what I want to know. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. And we're back with author and educator MJ Fiev. MJ, before the break, we were talking about intention. I would say that um, if you really want to open your eyes and your minds, you, you need to, to have more Black friends. That's, that's the first thing. If you're not surrounded with certain people, it's really difficult to learn about them. You might learn uh, about them through movies and books, and those are great too. They are great tools. But um, if I want to learn about a culture, an ethnicity, um, I hang out with more people. That's, that's the way to do it where you're consciously deciding, you know what, I need to expand my horizons. And of course, I'm not implying that you need to subject them to just scrutiny and use people for your edification. I'm just saying that you have to consciously become part of other people's lives, whether um, they're Black, whether they're Hispanic, you have to really see them as people and include them in your groups. That's how I learned about American culture, not just by hanging out with my Haitian and Haitian American family members. I really went out and talked to people who had been living in the States for a while, not people who just 
arrive just like uh, I did back in in the early 20, um, 2000s. So it's about really making sure that you're inclusive. And of course, there is a difference between racism that happens uh, consciously and racism that happens unconsciously. A lot of people are being racist without realizing that they are, and those people can be changed. But I have a hard time um, imagining someone who has consciously embraced racism. I, I have a hard time imagining them changing because yeah, they're yeah. aware of what they're doing and they just don't care enough to, to make the change. And I do understand that it's really tiring for people to keep hearing about racism. Um, but if, if you're tired and you're not the victim of racism, imagine how tiring it is for the person who is a victim. So although it's a conversation that is um, really emotional, that, that can be super boring sometimes if it's not part of uh, your prerogatives, um, it's a conversation that has to be happening because um, lives are at stake. We, we've seen in the news recently all the people who died just because they're Black. So it's not something we can just sweep under the rug. We have to have those conversations. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, there's a lot of issues in this uh, country and this world that we might be tired of hearing about, or we might be fatigued. And, and the level of isolation that has happened in this country long before the pandemic is distressing to me. Sorry if you're tired about talking about it. You know, sorry, there are people that have to live with it. And we need to rise above that. And we all need to start talking about it all the time until we learn enough and see each other differently. I, I'm, yeah, I have no, it's like my, you know, I just have no patience for that. I understand it is, but I have a lot to grow and learn. And on this show, we talk about how to live well, do good and be happy. We talk about bringing in these ideas and these practices and this way of being in the world. And none of those things have happened for me. I mean, I don't, I don't get my body in shape. I don't get my heart in shape. I don't get my mind in shape unless I invest some time. But what is worth more than investing time in each other to understand and bring people together instead of being divisive by something that doesn't even count you know we have so much to learn from each other's experiences and the varied backgrounds and we need to come together and we need to be in groups of all different people and and hearing each other and and being in community together it's the only way it's the only chance we have i think absolutely and i always tell people you know what if you want to learn more about black culture and about racism, I don't mind being your token black friend. I'll be your friend and I'll help <laughs> you um, because some people really want to change and they, they don't know um, how to have those conversations safely. There, there, there's a lot of tension when you, you're having those conversations, um, particularly when you talk about privilege. Some people have a hard time understanding this idea of white privilege, for instance. And I know where they are coming from. I can understand that if you grew up in an environment where you felt that you did not have any privilege at all, I'm thinking about people who came from families that were really struggling financially or who were bullied at school. And you're telling them about having white privilege when they're 
living paycheck by paycheck. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have this conversation because this conversation is really um, triggering feelings that they don't want to deal with. Um, So they'll tell you, don't tell me about white privilege. Um, they don't necessarily understand that it's it's a systemic thing that we're not accusing them of having um, of having it better than other people in their individual case. We're talking about the fact that to go back to that interview um, anecdote that I shared that if they go to a, an interview with the, the exact same qualifications as a black um as a black man, they will probably look at the white man better than they look at the black man. Same qualifications, um, same same education, they will just assume that a white man is going to do a better job in, in most cases. And that's the kind of privilege that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about how much money you're currently bringing home on a personal level and how much you've struggled to get there. I'm talking about the way people perceive you and um, there is a privilege. And I talk about male privilege too. Um, This idea that if it's 7.30 and it's dark, my husband can go for a run. I can't because I would be too worried about what's gonna happen to me if I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, statistically speaking, again, women are victims of attacks while running way more than men because the, the dangers that men are facing, women are facing them too, but some of the dangers that women are facing, men are not facing them. So I might be robbed, I might be assaulted. Um, my husband will probably get robbed, but if someone is just out there for assault, Um, that is sexually motivated, I will be a target when my husband is not going to be. So those types of privilege, we need to talk about them and explain that it's not about what's happening in your specific circumstances. It's this idea that generally, because of the system we live in, in, a system that values non-Black people over Black people, a system that um, turn women into sexual objects, that Black women are among the most marginalized groups there are in the United States. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much here, and I think it's so valuable that you brought up that point, because we're not saying one people is better than another, or you have one story. We're saying, listen, the system is set up to make it easier for white people, right? It is set up that way. That doesn't mean white people aren't valuable. That doesn't mean black people aren't. It just means the system is that way. So we need to take responsibility for that and change that system. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So um, how, I mean, this is a big order, right? It feels, it feels scary a little bit right now. We're in the middle of cancel culture. You say the wrong thing, no matter who you are, and you're going to be banished, you know, and all these things. Is that the way to do it? To call people out when they get it wrong? Is, is there, uh, what can we do to be the difference here to come together? Well, cancel culture can be brutal. And sometimes it's not always fair 
So um, yeah, in some instances, cancel culture worked um, for the greater good, but in so many instances, it, it just, it felt like a crowd just stoning um, mm -hmm. people in, in question. I think that first, it's education. You need to be aware of the of the situation. You need to um, become aware of what racism means, what privilege means, because if you don't get it, it's difficult for you to actively try to change it. And then the st second step is to think about what you can do as, as an individual. Um, do you vote? And when you vote, do you carefully look at um, the stance that the candidate is taking when it comes to matters of pre um, underprivileged people, of marginalized people? Are you voting for people who are going to come up with laws that put um, certain groups down or that elevate them and try to, to change the precarious situation that they've been living in for a while? Um, so it's about becoming aware. Um, there's a term that a lot of people use, you know, becoming woke. <laughs> Although this term is kind of losing um, a favor um, these days, but becoming aware, becoming educated, and then taking action by voting properly, by writing letters to, to um, the people in charge, um, by being a real ally, making sure that in your everyday life, you're uh, promoting people not just based on their race, but on their qualifications. That if you're the person conducting an interview, that you really look at qualifications instead of assumptions about how someone is going to behave. That um, you recognize the, the marginalized people who are making a difference within your company. Um, if you're a parent, are you making sure that your kid is inclusive, that they are not just in an echo chamber where they are only interacting with people who are exactly like them? And I think that, of course, books will play a very important role. I was exposed to so many other worlds growing up. Um, I read so many books about so many different countries and so many different cultures that um, it was easier for me to, to embrace others to, because I understood that the world is made of so many different parts and they're all important. So as parents, what do you do to teach your kid that we live in a beautiful world where we have so many different people and they're all contrib contributing so beautifully to what the world is? Um, so awareness, education, um, making sure that you're voting, making sure that you're a conscious of the decisions that you take every day. Those are small things that you can do and that have big consequences. They have big consequences and we can all do them, right? Those things are go to the library, pick up a book you you have heard about and haven't read before. Start learning. I think books can save the world. I mean, I, I, I'm a writer, so of course I have to say that, but I do. I think it's our way into awareness and, and knowledge and community. And we can all do these things. And here's the thing. We have to. We have to do this for each other. 
because we are only as strong as our weakest member. That's the quote, right? But it's so true. And we are seeing that play out now when people are marginalized and oppressed because of their color, we are all oppressed. It's not, we can't linger here and we don't want to. It doesn't even feel good to know people are hurting to this degree and left out of the things that matter most. One thing, MJ, that I wanted to uh, ask about that I thought was so important is you say that this isn't about being colorblind, that when I see you without recognizing your color, that that's a microaggression, that I'm not recognizing your experiences and, and your heritage and the things that you bring to our friendship. Talk about that a little bit. I think that's an important point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people think that the solution is just not to see color and people will say, well, I don't see color. But the thing is, you have to see color because um, it, it shows that my experience might not be the same as yours. And um, you, in order for you to be sensitive to what I've been through, to what I bring to the table, you need to understand where I come from. It's like denying someone's history, right? So if I see you as just, if you're Caucasian and you're visiting Haiti, for instance, of course, I'm going to uh, teach you certain things that you might not know. I can just pretend, oh, she's one of us and put you in situations where you have no idea how to survive the day. I will help you out because I understand that your background is different from mine. There are some things you might not understand. And there are some things you might understand. And opening this conversation and talking about your ex prior experiences that you might have gone through in Haiti. Um, I So it's not totally the same, but it's kind of in the same spirit. If you if I'm black and you're Caucasian, don't just ignore the fact that I'm black because I carry so much history with my blackness. Um, things have been hard for the people who came before me. I mean, th there are so many generations back where I can trace my family. Um, and when, when I can trace it, many of them were slaves. You don't necessarily have this as part of your history. So uh, you won't understand generational trauma that come from that comes from racism and in everything else linked to slavery but I carry those things in me this is un, undeniable history so it's not as simple as saying well uh, in, I don't see color yes I I understand the spirit behind it sometimes that people just mean that they are going to treat everyone well but um, do not deny my past because it's such a big part of who I am. You can just go back in years and years as a white person and um, talk about all your ancestors and the fascinating history of traveling the world before coming to America. And what I will talk to you about is my ancestors being put on a ship like um, Kittle, cattle, sorry, and being brought to a strange place where they had to kind of endure in 
everything physically, psychologically. And that's not a very nice story. Um, and I carry that with me. So do not deny it. Do not deny it. We all deserve to be seen and appreciated for not only who we are today, but the experiences we bring throughout our whole lives. And listeners, think about that for a minute, because I'm thinking about that. A big part of who I am is where I came from, and we cannot deny that experience in each other. And when we do, that's racism. Take a minute and reflect. Start there today. Simply start by taking a minute and becoming aware, you know, thinking about the things we're talking about and and educating yourself, like MJ said, and I know I'll be doing that too. I, I think it's really worth picking up MJ's Badass Black Girl series. Um, I'm not black. I am not a badass. <laughs> and, and I really am finding a lot of, I'm learning a lot about myself and the world that I'm a part of and the world I want to be a part of. Uh, also read Resilient Black Girl. And MJ, you have a lot going on. I mean, you speak, you, you teach, you, where can we find more of your work and, and uh, be in, in community with you? Um, well, I'm on Instagram so people can follow me. Um, my address on Instagram, my is Badass Black Girl Books. I also have a website, badassblackgirl.com. Um, there's a blog and a vlog. There's a magazine on the website. We are creating a real community there, sharing our experiences as Black girls and Black women. And because I'm an educator and I've had so many conversations with parents and kids, not just Black girls, but um, Black boys as well, I'm working on a new series for um, Black young men. So um, more information can be found on my website. And I always welcome emails. So if people have questions and want to talk about certain things, I'm happy to, to have those conversations. I, I think it's so helpful and so important. And I appreciate your grace and your openness with, with me as I'm learning uh, and thinking about my own life. You can find me at polycampbell.com or on Facebook at polycampbellauthor. And uh, buy a book. You can check out the Badass Black Girl series or Resilient Black Girl from MJ. You can find my book. You recharge at wherever books are sold. But pick up a book and allow it to expand your experience illuminate your life. And I think that can bring us closer and, and give us language to talk about these issues that truly impact us all. And when we do that, we will all live well, do good and be happy. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. 
This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.